You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. How do you teach when the world is falling apart? How do you show up for your students when you don't even know how to show up for yourself? This year has been a bath of uncertainty. First with the coronavirus shutting down pretty much every economy in the world, then massive protests all over the US and much of the world in response to the murder of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis police. What I'm gonna share today will apply whether the turmoil that you experience is personal, political, universal. No matter who you are or where you are, there will be moments when it feels like the world is falling apart, and it might just be your world falling apart. Divorce, death, violence, illness, uncertainty. These spare no one in the long run. Before I go any further, I want to share where I stand in the fight against racism that has been the dominant conversation in the world this week. Black lives matter to me. I believe that in order for anyone to be free, we must first fight for those who are most oppressed. And I'm committed to fighting racism and white supremacy wherever I see it, including and especially inside myself. For any of you who are new to anti-racism work, I will include the resources I'm personally working with in the show notes. There are so many lists and articles out there right now about how to get involved in anti-racism, but some of them can be overwhelming and just the sheer number of them can be overwhelming. Overwhelm can lead to inaction and putting things off, which is part of the problem right now. So I believe this moment in time is an invitation to overcome that overwhelm and take action. So I am sharing just a few resources in the show notes as one way to help with that. Last week, for the first time in two years and over 100 episodes, I did not release a podcast episode. And there are two reasons for this. One, in response to the call from Black people and people of color that white allies specifically stop producing content for a week and focus instead on amplifying the voices of people of color, specifically Black Americans. Second, I produced the podcast well in advance, and it didn't sit right with me to release something that didn't acknowledge the current moment. So this episode is my way of acknowledging the turmoil in our world and our inner turmoil that many yoga teachers now face about the best way to show up for your students. Turmoil, both internal and external, is an invitation to live your yoga, to put your practice into action. It's the same invitation no matter what crisis you're facing. Don't allow the knowledge that you won't do it perfectly to stop you from doing it. Your imperfections don't prevent you from being a skillful teacher. Instead, they are what facilitate your ability to be an example for your students. That's important enough to repeat. Your imperfections 
allow you to be an example of progress and of growth to your students. So please don't try to hide your flaws and present a front. The more you acknowledge that you don't have it all together and are learning too, the more quickly you will step towards the person you're capable of being. Be willing to fall flat on your face again and again, like a child learning to walk. Determined, persistent action is how we develop a skill, no matter what the topic is. So with that in mind, here's some tips for showing up in front of the room when the world is in crisis or your personal life is in crisis. If it's a world crisis that everybody knows about, it's important to be clear and to be specific. Don't sugarcoat or speak in generalities. However, if it's a personal crisis, then you're going to need to decide how much detail would be helpful for your students. For example, if you were going through a divorce, you could say, I've been grieving the end of my marriage this week, but don't talk about why it ended unless there's a specific tie to what you're teaching in class. But please, whatever you do, don't show up in front of your class in turmoil and pretend everything's okay. Acknowledge the context. Two, tie your words, your message back to the practice of yoga. No matter what's happening in your life or what's happening in the world, there is a direct correlation to yoga. That's because yoga is a system designed around the human experience. If you can't figure out how to connect what's happening in the world or in your life to yoga, reach out to your teachers. I also recommend having a small group of peers to support brainstorm and bounce ideas off of each other. If you're interested in learning how to do this, I'm teaching a workshop on creating a mastermind along with the members of my own group. You can go to teachingyoga.net slash events to sign up and to learn more. Three, do your practice. Use the tools of yoga that help you feel grounded and calm. Do the self-inquiry that leads to clarity. The more you do your own practice, the easier it will be to figure out what to share with your students. And I'm not talking about asana, at least not just asana. Asana can be a part of it, but more importantly is observing your mind, observing your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your reactions. Do the practices that help you maintain a balanced nervous system and support you in learning how to take more skillful action in the world. Four, when you show up to teach, focus primarily on the practice. Don't make the teaching about you, even if your struggle's personal. Your class isn't the place to process or to vent. It's the place to share your journey with the specific intention of helping your students with theirs. So you don't need to talk a lot to make an impact. Speak your truth and share the tools you believe will serve your students. Let there be a lot of silence. Give your students the space to have their own process. And remember that you don't need to guide every moment or fill up the space with your words in order to make your students more comfortable. It's not necessarily your job to keep your students feeling comfortable. And we'll talk about this more later. But for all of us, growth does not necessarily <laughs> no, it's not even not necessarily. You can't be comfortable and grow. So yoga practice, yoga class, yes, there is a component of soothing the nervous system, activating the parasympathetic, but there 
are also going to be times where people will be activated and uncomfortable and that is okay. Five, acknowledge when you're not able to take the seat of the teacher. If you think you're going to break down in the middle of class or sob incoherently or be so drained at the end that you put your own health at risk, cancel your class or ask somebody to teach it for you. It's 100% okay to take time off of teaching when you are in crisis or when you're in the turmoil of reconceptualizing yourself and the world. So don't martyr yourself on the idea that your students will fall apart without you. Get a sub if you can, and if you can't, your students will be okay, I promise. But six, don't be too hasty to avoid teaching. Sometimes teaching will make you feel stronger, clearer, and filled with purpose. When you gaze out at your students, you will often remember your dharma, and their return gaze will call you to presence. Your students are likely your biggest opportunity to make an impact in the world, so don't shy away from that responsibility. Seven, remember that you do not have to do it perfectly. Your students will almost certainly appreciate that you tried. If you're talking about a topic that has any sort of controversy attached to it, it is likely that somebody's going to take offense no matter what you say. Don't talk around your moral stance in the attempt to please everyone, because when you speak from a place of truth and integrity, you will cement the loyalty of those who are able to hear your message. And those who take offense, they're not ready to hear it, and you're not doing them a service by catering to them. Please don't tone your message down out of fear that you'll lose income, because that is the surest way to lose respect for yourself and magnify an inner state of confusion. If you speak your truth, even if your voice shakes, you will respect yourself and your students will respect you for it as well. The students that you lose, the truth is you might be making an impact on them anyway. This might be one of the times that they need to hear that message to eventually come around. So even if you lose them, you can be serving them by telling them your truth. The chance to occupy the seat of the teacher during troubling times is an incredible honor. This is what you were born to do. You didn't become a yoga teacher to spout tepid platitudes and post pictures of yourself in impressive poses on Instagram. You became a yoga teacher to make an impact on the world. There's no greater chance to do that than in the middle of a crisis, even if it's your own crisis. I've been a yoga teacher through a major relationship breakout, breakup, losing a parent, and now I've been a yoga teacher with a platform of other yoga teachers through a global pandemic and an uprising against police brutality and white supremacy that currently has my hometown boarded up and on curfew. During each of these events, I've experienced a heightened sense of purpose and an opportunity to more fully embody my practice and to grow up. Crisis wipes away the bullshit and it leaves exposed what is most essential and most important. So what if you're in crisis and you don't feel clear and purposeful? What if you feel confused, despondent, or uninspired? First of all, please don't make it worse by beating yourself up about not being clear. It's easy to get into a spiral where our judgment around how we're feeling just entrenches us more deeply in it. However, 
I do hope that you'll be able to use those feelings as an indication that something is off in your coping strategy. In order to step into the growth potential inherent in a crisis, you need two things. One, a balanced nervous system, and two, the courage to be brutally honest with yourself. Your commitment to self-care is always essential for being able to show up for your students. But during a crisis, it's imperative. It's been said so many times as a cliche, but the truth is you cannot pour from an empty cup. What we learn through our practice is not just how to, how to fill our cup, but also how to monitor it. As yoga teachers, our potential is to notice that we're going out of balance sooner, to become more and more sensitive to the early warning systems, our ability to pay attention, and to guard this balance with vigilance. But all the self-care in the world isn't going to help if you're not being honest with yourself. If you push away the uncomfortable work and you buffer with food, alcohol, TV, social media, or whatever your favorite feeling avoidance strategy is. See, the reason we need self-care is that the ability to do the excruciating work of feeling our feelings is exhausting. It's depleting. And this is the part of yoga that most of us are very, very good at ignoring. We want the bliss and the joy without the pain and the grief, but it does not work that way. And most of the harm we cause is a direct effect of the effort to avoid feelings that are uncomfortable. One definition of yoga is skill in action. It's a commitment to doing better, to focus on impact instead of intention, to bring intention and impact closer and closer together. Because your beautiful sankalpa, your intention means nothing without impact. So if you're feeling uninspired, confused, or unsure about what to say, there's a huge chance that those feelings are a signpost telling you that you're avoiding something. You're avoiding feelings, trauma, blind spots. And all this avoidance is a long-term form of stress. When you become willing to do the hard work, when you uncover your blind spots and you do the self-inquiry, you feel the feelings. It's like exercise. It's short-term stress, but it leads to long-term healing and growth. So we all do the avoidance to some degree, and we do it because our brains sense danger in this work. Our limbic system is finely attuned to monitor situations that could be life-threatening, and it will act much more quickly than your higher levels of thinking. It will act much more quickly to lash out, to fight, to flight, or freeze. So you can think of buffering behaviors like self-soothing with food, sex, social media, television. These are a form of flight and freeze. They're a form of cutting you off from perceived danger, but the truth is that the feelings aren't actually dangerous. So it's a false alarm and it's a really, really harmful false alarm. Now, to be fair, when you have complex trauma, too much processing, yeah, it could totally deplete you as well. So it's important if you suspect that you may have some deeper, more complex traumas buried 
don't try to do this work alone. In fact, nobody should do this alone, frankly. We all need a support network of therapists, teachers, friends, peers, colleagues to help us. When we're trying to deal with our blind spots, we need outside perspectives and we also need structure. So there's two structures I'm currently using right now. One is my relationship with my husband and the other is anti-racism work. My husband and I use a book called The Five-Minute Relationship Repair to guide us through understanding ourselves and our reactions within the context of our relationship. Now, don't be fooled by the name of the book. You only get to the five-minute technique after you've done a whole lot of deep and sometimes painful prep work. I'll include a link to this book in the show notes. For the anti-racism work, I'm currently using Layla F. Saad's book, Me and White Supremacy, which was written to help white and light-skinned people of color develop self-awareness around racism and privilege. And I'm working through this book along with some of my friends and my husband so we can have people to discuss it with who can relate. Neither of these topics or structures are easy or fun or light. My natural instinct is to avoid them and to do something that makes me feel better temporarily, like eat sugar, watch a movie, read a romance novel, shop online, or browse social media. Other people use sex, gambling, and intoxicants in the same way. And none of these are inherently bad in small doses. But if we run to them every single time we feel emotionally uncomfortable, we'll stay stuck in our conditioned reactions and we'll continue to cause harm to others even if we don't mean to or want to. Growing as a human does require discomfort. Once you become willing, though, to be emotionally uncomfortable... In the service of your most cherished values, things will start to flow. You will feel capable of holding space for others who are confused or in pain. You'll feel more brave. You'll feel more alive. And you will attract others to you who will resonate with your same message. I promise you can do this. It's the work of being human. And it's how you make your existence matter. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for caring. Next week, I'm going to release an episode that's been a long time coming, a collaboration with 25 members of the Yoga Teacher Resource Community on advice for brand new teachers. Meanwhile, please stay in touch and reach out to each other for support on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, you can go to teachingyoga.net slash join for the link to the Facebook group and also the email list. <laughs>